Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about sudden death syndrome in soybeans. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's going on in your farm, please give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, Ag PhD Media, or Brian Hefty. All right, so sudden death syndrome. The reason why we're talking about this today is because undoubtedly you're going to be talking to your seed provider here over the next two or three months and ordering seed for next year. Now, there are some things where, you know, there's there's not a lot you can do about it variety-wise. I, I think about tar spot, for example. It hasn't been around long enough where you can go pick, oh, these are the 10 best varieties on tar spot, and boy, these are the 10 worst. Um, with sudden death syndrome, that has been around long enough now in soybeans, and so even though there may not be true resistance, uh, you can certainly find beans that are more tolerant. So I'd just say, uh, please talk to your seed provider, and if you're having major issues with sudden death syndrome, start taking a look at that. And I, I, I just, I don't think that gets, or I don't feel anyway, like that gets talked about enough. Everybody's talking about seed treatments, and, and we'll discuss that, of course. But let's look at the variety first. And part of the reason why I want to stress this to you is because here's what happens almost every spring. At least with one variety in your farm, your seed dealer goes, oh, shoot, we did, that didn't make germ, or we don't have that seed now, and literally this will be at the last minute. And then they tell you, well, we got, we got something that I think you're going to like just as good. Well, number one, if I was going to like it just as good, why didn't I order that last fall? And number two, does it have the same trait package? And by trait package, I don't mean Roundup or Liberty or Extend Flex or Enlist. What I mean is, is it going to have the tolerance to something like sudden death syndrome that you wanted? Or maybe it's sclerotinial white mold or, or something like that where there, there aren't, again, true resistance things. You can't say, oh, there's this resistance trait. But you can say, I've got a bean that is much more tolerant to sudden death syndrome. Now, if you find that good bean, we're usually going to encourage you to plant that first. Okay, plant that on your worst ground for sudden death syndrome or, you know, some of your worst fields for sudden death syndrome. A lot of people talk about planting later, and a lot of times that can help with sudden death syndrome. So you have fewer issues the later you plant. And I get that, but the trouble is you don't want to delay planting very much. Otherwise, your yield typically goes down on average. And now it doesn't always work out that way. Okay. So generally speaking, what we'll say is plant your fields that you're not worried about sudden death and plant your tolerant varieties, plant those first. Then you save the, the fields that, hey, maybe we do have a, a problem with SDS or a little problem, and you know I don't know for sure how this is going to work out with this variety. Those are the ones where you may want to plant them last. Okay, other things. Tile is the number one thing that I usually talk to people about when they bring up sudden death syndrome because what we find is sudden death syndrome, like many other fungal diseases, it thrives in wet soils. If you solve the wet soil problem, then typically these things start to go away. Also, reducing soil compaction is a really big issue. And think about it. Where are you going to have more compaction issues? Chances are it's in your wet ground. 
Along with that, if you want to make any any variety of beans better for tolerance to literally any disease, have the right fertility out there. Now, I, I do get a lot of questions about copper because copper is kind of considered the disease nutrient, but it's everything. You've got to have good levels of potassium. That, that to me is probably even more important than the copper. But if you have good levels of P and K, you have adequate sulfur, you have great levels on zinc and copper and boron, manganese, iron. I, I mean, you balance your fertility overall and have good levels, your plant is going to tolerate that sudden death syndrome a lot better. Okay, so tiling, reducing soil compaction, having good fertility, picking a more tolerant seed variety. Those are probably my top four things. And then I get to the seed treatment that everybody asks about. So some people don't like a levo just in that a lot of times you'll get what they call the halo effect. So on the cotyledons, and you typically don't see this on the other leaves on the plant, but on the cotyledons, if you use, use a levo, then the edges of the cotyledons will look yellow. And you go, oh no, this, is, this doesn't look the best. But yeah, your yield is good and your yield is improved versus where you didn't use a seed treatment. So I don't think it's anything to get that worried about. But Saltro doesn't seem to have that impact on those beans. Both Saltro and Olivo will give you tolerance to sudden death syndrome and also cyst nematodes. Now, I'm not going to say either one is great on cyst nematodes or anything like that, but they, they give you that side benefit, okay? The only fungicide that I know of that's labeled for sudden death syndrome is Fortix, and that's at R1. But quite frankly, here again, if we can just stop other diseases so we have less stress on the plant, well, you're more likely to have a, a bean that survives sudden death syndrome or at least does well under even with a little impact from sudden death. So Fortix at R1. So R1 is first flower. So when you see the first flowers in the field, that's when you want to go hit it with Fortix. All right, a couple other things. Um, rye, oats, brassica, cover crops have been shown. If you use those as cover crops, and again, rye, oats, brassica, that can reduce sudden death syndrome in the future. So that's something for you to consider. And also, a comment that Neil Kinsey had at one of his seminars a couple of years ago, and we've talked about this a couple of times here on the show, I, I mentioned copper levels. And he said, if you can get your copper levels over five parts per million, there is significantly less sudden death syndrome. So you can at least try that on some acres on your farm where you've got the worst SDS. So copper, five parts per million. And he might go, oh, wow, that's overkill. Oh. Copper sulfate is very inexpensive, so don't get that worried about it. And I'm not suggesting you try this on the whole farm, but maybe try it in a couple of your worst SDS spots, do some side-by-side, -side, see if you see a difference. If so, hey, when you put copper in the soil, it hangs around for a really, really, really long time. It's like phosphorus. It doesn't really move, so it's a long-term investment. Stay tuned. We'll talk more SDS next. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. 
You've done it. Your yields are on the rise. But when it comes to marketing, are you falling short? Invest in yourself with Agris Academy. Agris Academy is offering a first-of-its-kind masterclass in commodity merchandising and risk management. Learn the best practices and tactics of the world's leading risk managers and apply them to your farm. Contact your buyers with a new confidence and boost your farm's profitability. Agris Academy's 10-week masterclass begins this November and is hosted on Acres TV. Sign up today with early discount code ACRES at agrisacademy.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com. Then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're talking about sudden death syndrome, or SDS as it's frequently called. Sudden death syndrome in soybeans. Our first guest on the show today is Troy Bauer. He's with BASF. Hey, Troy, how are you today? Hey, Brian, good to talk to you today. How are you? Excellent. All right, so when it comes to sudden death syndrome, there are some seed treatment options. And I guess I just wanted to have you talk a little about BSF's option for the marketplace and what kind of impact we can see with sudden death syndrome when the seed treatment is used. You bet. Uh, I I guess with SDS, we're uh, very familiar. That's a very aggressive uh, fungus caused uh, by Fusarium virgiliforme, and uh, it's pretty widespread. And the other thing that really exacerbates the situation with SDS is soybean cyst nematodes. And a lot of times you'll get those things uh, occurring together, and soybean cyst nematodes causes SDS to be a lot worse. Uh, with BASF, we have a product called Olivo Seed Treatment, and it, it uh, provides protection against both SDS and soybean cyst nematodes. And we can get a really nice return on investment. Uh, we average about 4.6 bushel per acre. Uh, year in and year out against those two pests. So earlier in the show, we were talking about the halo effect, and I said, you know, some people ask questions about that. It's a little bit of yellowing in the outside of the cotyledon leaves, but I always kind of go back to, number one, early stress doesn't seem to hurt the bean plant much. All I really care about at the end of the day is, did I get a yield gain? I'm getting a yield gain, so why am I that worried about it? But can you talk about that halo effect and just kind of what you see and and what you want a farmer to know about that yeah a lot of times we look at the halo effect and we uh say that that's proof that uh olivo was used on the the seed to provide that protection both sds and soybean cyst nematodes uh and uh that cotyledon it's really only used for the soybean plant is as a food source and so you'll get a little bit, it's only on the epidermis that you'll see that uh, halo effect. 
the cotyledon is uh, really unscathed by that, and it still is a great food source for the soybean. And as uh, as you have SDS and nematodes, you go back to the proof is in the pudding, and we've got a great return on investment of 4.6 bushel per acre. Okay, now you talk about sudden death syndrome and also cyst nematodes. So can you explain that there are a couple different rates that a person could use with Olivo? Which rate does what? Yeah, so we've got an SCN rate of Olivo that is 0.6 fluid ounces per unit. And uh, I guess that, that goes to the fact that Olivo is a great nematocyte. It kills nematodes at all stages of their life cycle. But when you have SDS present out there, we need to use that 1.18 fluid ounce rate. And really in the western corn belt, a lot of the acres that we're looking at do have both SDS and soybean cyst nematodes. So uh, more often than not, we need to be that 1.18 fluid ounce rate per acre or per uh, unit. Sorry. All right. So in terms of return on investment then, because, I mean, for a lot of people, they're going to invest, it's in the range of, let's call it $10 or maybe it's somewhere in that ballpark, 10, 12 bucks. So you're talking about a tremendous return on investment then if you're getting 4.6 bushels on average. But how does a guy know if he's going to have SDS? Do you just kind of base it off history? I mean, how do you do it? Because this has to be, this decision has to be made at the time you're you're picking up your seed, whether you're going to have this treatment or not. Yeah, unfortunately for both soybean cyst nematodes and sudden death syndrome, uh, really the decisions made at planting time. You yep. really need to, to pick out a, a resistant variety, uh, or as a resistant variety is what you can get against SDS that has great tolerance, and plant a soybean variety that has a soybean cyst nematode uh, resistance trait in it, and then. Uh, how do you know if you're going to have it? Well, really, it comes back to the fact that if you have an SDS present in your field, it's always going to be there. Once it's established in your field, it's always going to be there. You can't rotate away from it. In fact, uh, SDS, uh, the SDS pathogen survives and reproduces very well in corn, in corn residue. And uh, with soybean cyst nematode, just like SDS, once it's present in the field, it's always going to be there. Uh, the difference is, is that you can reduce populations by rotating to corn or other non-soybean cyst nematode uh, host crops and uh, so you can reduce those levels but really the fact is is once you have the, those uh, pathogens present in the soil you need to start managing effectively against it and Olivo is a great tool uh, that's really proven its value over time uh, with that uh, proven return on investment that we continue to get year in and year out. Okay, so you mentioned something that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, that sudden death syndrome is going to survive in your cornfields. So we do talk about rotation quite often for most diseases that are out there in soybeans, like white mold's the worst one, in my opinion, you can get. You mentioned cis, cis nematode. You can rotate away from that. So if you plant corn for a few years, you go back, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, boy, my nematode problem isn't as bad. My white mold isn't as bad. But what you're saying is the sudden death syndrome could be just as bad if you rotate away for two, three, four years, something like that. How does it survive in the, in the corn, and is there any impact in the corn? Yeah, so one of the terms that we uh, that we really learned a lot about uh, during uh, the COVID was asymptomatic symptoms, or, or you really don't get symptoms from getting infected. Uh, and that's exactly what Fusarium virgiliforme does on corn. Uh, it will infect residue. It will really infect uh, any uh, corn seed if it hits the ground. 
and uh, it survived very well. In fact, we'll see some of the worst uh, SDS fields uh, where there's a lot of seed corn production around, and uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, corn residue that's left out in the field, and uh, that's usually in some of the areas uh, uh, kind of the canary in the coal mine in terms of having SDS showing up uh, uh, worse and worse every year. So, yeah, you really can't rotate away from uh, SDS. Once it's there, you're going to really need to manage for it. Just like SDN, you really need to manage for those. So we really encourage growers to educate uh, themselves on both of those pathogens, both of those pests. All right. Anything else you wanted to leave us with today, Troy, as we talk about sudden death syndrome in soybeans? Yeah, I think that... Uh, if uh, growers, they, they need to educate themselves, they need to go out and sample uh, their fields to understand how bad their soybean cyst nematodes are uh, in the soil. There's some great information out at the SCNCoalition.com website in terms of how to sample and then how to manage. And for folks that want to learn more about SDS and how Alevo works as a seed treatment, they can talk to their local BASF representative or watch Alevo, or, I'm sorry, or visit WatchAlevoWork.com. Watch elevowork.com. All right. Yes, sir. We've been talking with Troy Bauer with BSF. Troy, thanks for the time today. This is great. All right, Brian. Thanks. Have a great day. Yep, you bet. You too. Yeah, so when he's talking about residue that's on the ground, that is one of the things we didn't really get into earlier on the show today when I was just talking through some of the things we usually bring up to others about sudden death syndrome. And I'm not going to say that, oh, you, you go back to doing moldboard plowing and disking and field cultivating, that's what we used to do on our farm is three passes, uh, that you're going to eliminate all that residue out there and all of a sudden you're going to have a lot cleaner field for, or you know, a lot less sudden death syndrome in your soybeans. But, uh, I mean, a little bit of tillage certainly could help. That is one of the reasons why, in my opinion, we're seeing more issues with diseases, especially just in all crops, because for many of us, we have gone to reduced tillage. When I was growing up on the farm, like I say, I mean, we'd moldboard plow, we'd disc, we'd field cultivate a lot of times twice because we were we had products like eradicane and trefland that would evaporate and I mean they they would become become gases in the soil so we wanted to double incorporate them spread them out make sure we got the best control out of those so you think about that if I'm going to make three or four passes over that field I don't have a lot of residue left and quite often we would want to have our fields black going into the winter well now it's it's like the exact opposite. Almost nobody wants their field black going into the winter because that means you, you're a lot more prone to have soil erosion, wind or rain or whatever. So even like on our farm, what are we doing after silage? We're not just leaving it there like we used to. We're putting in a cover crop. So even where we've taken the residue off, we're, we're basically planting another crop that's going to become residue over the winter. So anyway, just a lot of changes in, in agriculture, and that has led to changes in insects, diseases, weeds, everything else. We just have to continue to adapt as farmers to be successful because there's always going to be some kind of challenge from Mother Nature. We'll talk more about sudden death syndrome right after this. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. 
Together, we can uproot the stigma. In 1923, Bertar Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. When it comes to combines, capacity and cost keep going up. So if you aren't the largest farm in the county, how do you achieve the high harvesting efficiency of the big operations while still keeping costs in check? Start by checking out the Kloss Trion 740. The latest Kloss combine delivers high reliability, low maintenance, gentle threshing, and surprising efficiency. The Kloss Trion 740. Learn more at Kloss.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here. Live in the Morton studio, we're talking about sudden death syndrome in soybeans. And next on the show, we get Jeff Ellis with us. He's from down in Kansas, and he's with Syngenta. Hey, Jeff, how are things going down in your state today? I'm doing well, just really dry. Now, when you bring up really dry, and I mean, that's unfortunately pretty common where you're at down in Kansas, hot and dry. Um can I assume you don't see as much sudden death syndrome there as what we might in, let's call it Southeast South Dakota or in Iowa or something like that? Uh, It depends on what part of the state, the Eastern side of Kansas uh, gets it pretty often. So we get enough rainfall in Eastern Kansas where we uh, get it almost every year, you know, at different levels each year, but we do, we do get it pretty often. All right. So, uh, from the management perspective, we've talked about a lot of things here today, like having better drainage, better fertility, picking the right varieties. But I, I assume that 
for for most people that have this sudden death syndrome each year in your region, they are treating with a seed treatment uh, like Saltro, correct? Yes, they are. So I, we were talking about Olivo in the last segment and just the difference with uh, soybean cyst nematode and sudden death syndrome and kind of the interaction between the two sometimes, or in other words, if you have SCN, you have worse SDS problems. It's really the same kind of discussion with Saltro because you can also get SCN control and SDS suppression out of Saltro. So talk to us just a little bit more about that and how exactly the product works. Yeah, so it, it, it you know, there's an enzyme in the... Uh, in the fusarium that causes SDS that's also uh, present in the nematode. So <clears throat> Saltro inhibits that enzyme, which eventually leads to death of the uh, nematode. But you don't necessarily have to have nematodes to have SDS, but in general, the higher the SDS infestation or uh, levels, you've got higher nematode levels. But, you know, Saltro does a very good job. It promotes a lot of early se- season vigor, doesn't necessarily hurt the plants. There's no phyto issues with uh Saltro when the soybeans are out of the ground. So what else can you tell us about Saltro and why a farmer would want to use some? I mean, even, well, one of the things we brought up in the last segment is you don't know for sure if you're going to have sudden death syndrome or not. I think nematodes are a lot more predictable, but with SDS, you don't really know. So why would a farmer want to be using a seed treatment like SDS, or for SDS, uh, like Saltro? So basically, the only way to control the organism that causes SDS is through a seed treatment. So if you don't protect the seed, the plants come up and you notice SDS, well, there's nothing you can do after that. So it's, you know, basically controlled with the seed care product. And generally, you know, weather sort of predicates how bad it's going to be, so to speak, how bad the infection is going to take place in the spring but you know even this year we had generally maybe warmer maybe not so wet of a spring yep we still had quite a bit of sds pressure on those untreated soybeans in uh, august when you know the rainfall stopped and plants became stressed and the sds uh, symptoms really showed uh, quite a bit in august okay that's a great point that you bring up there august A lot of people that I talk to go, well, my seed treatment isn't going to last very long. It's just to help the seed get out of the ground and then for just a little bit there. But how long do you expect Saltro is going to last in that plant? Generally, I mean, it's important to control it because the infection happens early season. So if you're preventing that infection early season, you know, using Saltro, then the SDS issues aren't, or there are not any SDS issues later in the season. But in general, five to six weeks for a seed care product, you know, if you're talking about, you know, Pythium or Phytophthora, something like that. But it's, it's critical to have the salt on the seed, prevent the infection early on, because once the soybeans get up, it's sort of beyond the infection period. But you've got to really protect it when that seed is germinating in that early season growth. Yeah, and that's one of the big things with SDS is it doesn't show up a lot of times until way later in the season. A guy's like, oh, this just happened. No, no, it happened a long time ago, unfortunately. And then the other thing I I will often bring up to people is like, okay, what do you really expect you're going to get here? I mean, a five to one return on investment. Sometimes it's 10 to one with some of the guys I'm working with. Okay, well, that means you'd literally only have to have it hit one time out of 10 years and it paid for itself. 
So, I mean, when you're getting SDS on a fairly regular basis, and yeah, it was the same kind of thing like you talked about the spring you guys had, a little drier, definitely warmer, so we had less disease problems early on, but we still had some disease. And even if you have just a little bit, then that often can be enough where something like Saltro can still pay. Uh, Jeff, anything else you want to leave us with when it comes to talking about Saltro and soybeans? Yeah, I, mean, I would say like with SDS, even when you're, the soybean is not exhibiting any kind of symptomology, you're taking away from soybean yield. You're just not seeing, you know, the symptoms until later when the soybean's under stress, water kind of cuts off, and then you start seeing it. But the yield reductions happened early on, even though you're not seeing the, uh, the symptoms on the soybean. And of course, you get early death in August when the rain cuts off. Yep. No, I think that's a great point. We talk about that with fertility too. I mean, a lot of times guys identify, oh, hey, this is a problem. looks like I've got a deficiency of this or that nutrient. Well, okay, by the time you see it, <laughs> that means you have a major problem. Same thing with when you see disease yep. in the field. You have a major problem. How about all the times when you didn't see it, you didn't happen to notice it? How many times is it hurting you there as well? Hey, Jeff, it's been great talking with you today. Again, that's Jeff Ellis with Syngenta. Thanks for for the time. All right. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right. We're going to go next out to Maryland. Got a friend, John, on with us who wanted to talk about Liberty and soybeans today. Hey, John, how are you? Good afternoon. How are you doing? Great. Hey, um, so we had a conversation about two, three weeks ago about Star of Bethlehem and how you thought that Roundup would kill it and that my solution or the common solution was to use Paraquat over and over, yep. burn out the root around here. And then I was saying I used Roundup in 2,4-D to sicken the plant. Yep. And then I hit it with Paraquat and it killed it rather well. And you were saying Roundup would work. And so I got thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, we're usually killing that stuff around 60 degrees around here. Our, I think our springs are longer than your springs because uh, I think the, the temperatures change faster. I don't know because... Um, I don't, you know, we have 60 degree temperatures longer. So basically I was looking at it and wanted to ask you, do you think if I added nitrogen and MSO, um, cause you were saying the star of Bethlehem, Bethlehem has a lot of wax. Yep. So I was thinking that if we, uh, maybe put some nitrogen, some MSO, some stuff like, uh, kind of like what we would add yes. to sharpen in order to burn that wax off, kind of burn that plant and yes. get that roundup through yeah. that wax and. Yeah, it could. I'm less worried about the the nitrogen than I am the the MSO. Let me rephrase that. The MSO would be more important than the nitrogen. Okay. And my concern with any nitrogen, if let's say you pull liquid 28% right out of a bulk tank, um, it may have some contamination in there. So it might have, because a lot of times those same bulk trucks will haul chemical or they'll haul something else that may have a little dirt in it, and that can partially neutralize the Roundup. So we've had issues sometimes with bulk liquid fertilizer being put with Roundup. Can work, but I'm just saying I'm slightly concerned. But your point uh, is is a valid one about 60-degree temps. When it's 60 degrees, I don't care what herbicide we're talking about. If it's supposed to get into the plant and get to the growing point, it's going to struggle compared to if, this, if the daytime temp was 70 or more. I mean, personally, I like it when it's 80, but at least if it's 70, it makes a lot of difference. So, and 50 is a definite cutoff for us. We don't like spraying when the, the nighttime temp is below 50. And it's, if the daytime temp is not above 50, you have almost no chance that stuff's going to work. So yeah, it's really about timing that application. And that's 
it, it, it does get to be a challenge some springs. I, I know because we've had to live through this for years and years and years. Um, we want, we've got a lot of acres to cover ourselves, and it's like, whoa, I, I got a lot to do here. I'm trying to get it done. At what point do I call or quits? But if I, I, I'll, I'll just tell you this. For many years, we tracked Roundup complaints, and we looked at, we analyzed, okay, where was the Roundup complaint coming from? It was almost always, until we started getting these resistance issues in the last 10, 12 years, it was almost always when the nighttime temps were cool and daytime temps might have been cooler as well. Hey, John, if you have more with that, you can stick on uh, or hang on with us through this break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Looking for a herbicide as versatile and reliable as your favorite pocket knife? Anthem Flex Herbicide offers the versatility you need to keep your crops clean. Protect your wheat this season with unmatched flexibility and extended residual control of broadleaf weeds and tough grasses, including Italian ryegrass. Minimize resistance and help maximize yields with Anthem Flex Herbicide. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty. 
Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, right before the break, we were talking with John from Maryland. Uh, John, you had more questions for us? Yeah. So we were, I was just discussing different ways of possibly killing a plant in, with Roundup in cooler temperatures. You yes. said MSO is probably a better idea than nitrogen yes. because of the contamination. Yep. I guess a surfactant, maybe something yep. like a... Like in, like a Loveland product Li seven hundred that has an acidifier in there and sure. maybe uh, something that the the plant's going to want to pull in. So anything you can get, I guess, to get that plant to pull in that Roundup better is better. Is yes, but and, here's and cut that and cut that wax right. Yes, but here's the other thing: when okay. the temperature is cool, what we're always going to talk about with Roundup is upping the rate. With Roundup, okay. if you look on the label, a lot of times. Well, let's just put it this way. For most of us as farmers, we don't use the high end of the label rate. And so we're going to tell you, use more product. So here's what we have found in our experience. If the nighttime temperatures are below 50 degrees, and especially, you know, if you're talking daytime temps too in the six, or, you know, at 60, right at 60, I'd say this is probably true as well. But if the nighttime temp within two days before or two days after spraying is below 50 degrees, we're always telling people, Increase the Roundup rate by 50%. And I know it's going to sound crazy, and I didn't say 15%. I said 50%, 50%. As long as it's on label, as long as it's still on the label, that's what it's going to take for that Roundup to perform equally as well as using your normal rate when the temperatures are warmer. So that kind of gives you an idea how much difference there is. But yeah, when it, let's say you're within two days before or after spraying and you're going to hit 32 degrees at night, uh, don't spray, you're wasting your money. And, and I, I know for probably everybody listening to, you've never heard this anywhere else before other than here on our show, but we talk about this from time to time because it is so important we have to have active growth in that plant leading up to the spray and for the next couple days after that spray application because our goal here is to get as much as possible into the plant quickly and then as quickly as we can move that herbicide to the growing point because we need to have a lethal dose when it hits the growing point and the trouble with a lot of broadleaf weeds is when we spray there are many growing points there I think about kochia and water hemp and all the weeds we're trying to kill and quite often i mean even a small plant might have 20 growing points or more well if you don't kill every single growing point the plant continues to live and this is where we see so many plants and i see it time and time again i go out to people's fields and they're like oh i got a resistant weed and i go no you don't you killed all the top growing points look at it it's branching out from down below from the bottom that means you didn't have a high enough rate so your the herbicide is still very effective on that weed is what I learned out of this. You just didn't apply enough rate. Or that could also mean you didn't get good enough spray coverage. You didn't get good enough penetration into that plant, whatever. The point is you didn't deliver a lethal dose to every single growing point. So, I, I mean, very often in agriculture, we try to simplify things. I now am making it a little more complex to try to fully explain the reason why sometimes these things don't work. Okay. I guess my, my understanding of Roundup is that it goes between the top part of the plant and the root, the bottom part of the plant, and somehow causes it to where it can't send sugars to the root and the root starves to death. Is that correct? How does, 
is that is that a correct if i'm wrong please tell me and tell me how roundup works yeah so roundup works on an enzyme that's found only in plants uh epsps and it's going to shut that down and it's going to do it for each individual growing point. And what you're going to find is it's going to go to the most active growing point first. So that's typically going to be at the top of the plant. Then it's going to work its way down. So you're you're sending out, I, I mean, there's uh, transport of water and nutrients. This is kind of the way things work inside that plant. The Roundup gets into that system, and it's going to go right along with all that stuff. Well, where does that go? Of course, it's going to the most active growing point. Well, once we kill that, what's next most active? Now it's like, uh-oh, now what do I do? So it starts sending stuff out to the other growing points more. And anyway, then you keep working your way down that plant is typically how this happens. If you've got a perennial plant, let's say it's Canada thistle, that's the one we fight in our region probably the most, the, the perennial plant, that Roundup has almost exterminated in a lot of fields. It's been great. Uh, you have to have a high enough dose to not only kill all those above ground growing points, but you've got to go down into the root. And the challenge with something like Canada thistle, it'll put on all these rhizomes that then can have a number of growing points there too. So you start thinking about this a little bit in your head and you're like, whoa, we got to have a very high rate to get through all that thing and kill every single growing point. And yes, that's true. And that's part of why if I go back to this Roundup 2,4-D thing that you brought up earlier, 2,4-D shuts down that plant more quickly in a lot of cases than what Roundup is. In, in fact, in almost all cases it does. And so the Roundup gets stopped because the transport system that moves the Roundup along with water and nutrients and sugar and everything else, that transport system gets shut down. So now you no longer are able to move the Roundup to all those remote growing points and you don't kill them. So that's why a lot of times guys will be like, oh, I put Roundup together with 2,4-D and it was great and my burn down. Well, it looks great today, but it's not going to kill your perennial weeds. You burned everything to the ground. You burned it down, in effect, too quick. So now we don't allow that Roundup to do its job like it can. So this is where we say, hey, just spray Roundup all by itself if you're after perennials, and you'll have you'll be happier long term. Sure, tomorrow you're going to go out to the field and you're going to go, I don't know, I, it's not that great. I want, I want to go back to my 2,4-D, and that burns her down fast. I don't care about speed. What I care about is I want to kill the whole thing so I don't have to go keep spraying again and again and again. So anyway. <laughs> I thought Roundup and 2,4-D had synergy between each other. No. Nope. That's not true. Okay. Um, okay. But, All right. I but, guess my next question, I guess this, oh, go this ahead. brings me to my real question. My real question is this. So, yep. <laughs> so the real question is, is what chemical, if you had to put a chemical cocktail of uh, out of like um, Roundup, Banvel, 2,4-D, um, what chemical cocktail is going to make the root itself the sickest? Would it be Banville and 2,4-D? Do they well, work together well? Yeah, but, oh, okay. What's going to make okay. the root sick? Okay. There's a big difference here between an annual plant and a perennial plant. If it's an annual plant, I don't care how sick the root gets because the growing points on a broadleaf are all above ground. So if I kill all the broadleaf uh, growing points above ground, it's dead. 
we, so we don't have to worry about any root. We don't care. All we care about is killing the top growth, and you will, and the root will die. That is a for sure statement. But with a perennial, it's different. You don't think, a, new shoot out? You don't think a, a live root can put a new shoot out? No, it's done. You have to look at does it have a growing point or does it not? If it does not have a growing point, it's done. So if I go out to a soybean plant, for example, that's a broadleaf, if I cut it off at ground level, it's done. That plant is dead. So I don't have okay. to worry about that. So there's a big difference here in, in perennial and annual. So if it's a perennial plant, I want something that will move all through that root system and Banville and 2,4-D are not going to do it. It's going to take a Roundup or something. I mean, we have some other products that work kind of like that and can kill roots or can get absorbed by roots, for example. So it's possible. I mean, if you had a high enough rate of Banville or 2,4-D, you can actually get some soil residual and it's possible that the root could get enough in that you could kill the growing points in that root system. It's just unlikely. Whereas if it was Tordon or Milestone or a number of other products that we use, then I I mean, those products have so much residual and they will go into that root system and they will kill those growing points. So yeah, we got other products that work differently than Roundup. Uh, Roundup is just contact because once it hits the dirt, it's done. So dirt is what we've always said is dirt's the antidote for Roundup. So once it hits the dirt, it ties up and it's done. What's that? I just, I just didn't know if it moved systemically through the plant and moved down into the root. Yeah, 2,4-D and dicamba, um, what they try to do for the plant, those group fours, they are going to try to grow the plant to death. So they are going to speed overall growth, but they are not going to move down very well in the root or anything like that. So, nope, you got to go with something like Roundup that is more systemic. Hey, John, great talking to you as always. Good luck out there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. 
That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, our first question today comes from George from Bulgaria. George, by the way, has been to Ag PhD workshops before. I believe he's been to our Ag PhD field day. Uh, so anyway, it's it, it it's just it's interesting some of the questions that we get and even some of the similarities. So he's halfway around the world. Trying to farm in Bulgaria, um, so that's not exactly the United States or Canada. Um, a lot of challenges over there. But anyway, here's George's question today. He says, non-ionic surfactant during wheat flowering, can I use that with a fungicide? Uh, yes, you absolutely can. A lot of people do. Uh, anyway, he says, I use non-ionic surfactant when I apply fungicide at flag leaf emergence, and I see good benefit of it. But how about flowering? Could it have a negative or positive effect on pollination? So as far as I know, George, I've never seen any studies showing that non-ionic surfactant would hurt that. I will say this. In corn, we, we often talk about when you're pre-tassel, so let's call it V8, up to tasseling time, we have seen arrested ear syndrome when you're using a regular non-ionic surfactant. So instead, what we use is an APE-NPE-free surfactant at that point, and then it's fine. So, I mean, I I always suggest walking before you run. In other words, do try something on a small scale. So try some on a small scale. I do not believe you're going to have any problems throwing non-ionic surfactant in with a fungicide during flowering, but you could also try to find something that is APE-NPE free and then try that as well and see if you see any difference. All right. Next one here is from Amar. He said, in 6.0 pH soil, we have good base saturation levels like 65% calcium and 15% magnesium. So uh, that means we have a lot of calcium and magnesium in the soil. Uh, Now, uh, let me just say this. I don't know because I don't think we have in here what his cation exchange capacity is. We don't know if this is heavy ground or light ground. So when... Uh, Okay, so base saturation is simply a ratio of the nutrients that are out there. It does not tell us how many of the nutrients we have out there. If you have sandy soil, your soil just flat out can't hold much. So you could have 65% calcium and 15% magnesium, and you still need to apply more. If you have very heavy soil, and we have a fair amount of of that on our farm, 20, 
30, 40 CEC. Um, if we're at 65% calcium and 15% magnesium, my gosh, we have thousands of pounds, especially of the calcium, in our soil. All right, so anyway, here's his question. He says, for 200 bushel corn, it takes 28 pounds of calcium and 48 pounds of magnesium. Do I need to apply that or do I have enough already in the soil so I shouldn't have to apply that? Um, and what if our soil pH, instead of being 6, what if it was 5? What if it was 7.5? Uh, do we need to apply then? Okay, so Amar, the big thing that I'm going to look at is I want to see how many pounds we actually have in that soil. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you told me the base saturation numbers, but that doesn't tell me either parts per million or you could then convert that to pounds per acre. So I need either one of those numbers and then I'm going to have a much better idea. Here's the other thing. What we always suggest is try some things out on your farm and just see. So if you want to try a little bit of added calcium, you want to try a little bit of added magnesium, you certainly can. But like I was saying, if I had really sandy soil, and very low CEC, that means I probably don't have a lot of calcium and magnesium to start with, and I may be adding some. But if I had really heavy ground, the odds are very slim that I would be adding some. So that would be my, my response. And if, if you have soil tests you want to send us, we'd be more than happy to take a look at that. All right, here's the next one. Uh, this is from PD in Idaho. He says, uh, hi guys, I am growing sweet corn seed on real irrigation on rented ground. Can If you're not familiar with real irrigation. That would be like furrow irrigation. Sometimes we, we, we novices here call it flood irrigation. So basically in between the rows, you are running water down in between those rows. Okay. Anyway, he says with the sweet corn seed, the inbred parents we plant to produce the hybrid are notoriously weak, susceptible, and challenging. So is it better to get an in-furrow pop-up fertilizer system that either puts the fertilizer on the seed and immediately around it, or would you rather see that system put fertilizer below the seed? Um, also, he says, where can I find somebody who can tell me how to set this up on a research planter? All right, so first of all, how would I like my fertilizer? Ideally, I, I mean, we like it near the seed, or at least a little bit, of low salt fertilizer near the seed, but you cannot put much, especially when you're talking about sensitive, weak sweet corn seed. So below the seed would be better if you're going to put on very much at all. I'll just give you the example off our farm in hybrid corn. Okay, we'll put on two, maybe four gallons of low salt liquid fertilizer in the furrow. I tr we try to keep it off the seed, but if it a little bit ends up on the seed, it's not usually the end of the world. And then for the majority of our fertilizer, we're either going to broadcast it or we're going to strip till and place it usually be about six to eight inches below where the seed is going to get planted. We'll typically put the fertilizer on in the fall and then we'll plant in the spring. So that's how we do it and that's how we do it to try to be safe. So if you are ever worried, you always want to keep going lower on the amount that would get on the seed. That's our concern. And the closer it is to the seed, the smaller the root's going to be and the greater chance you have to burn it off. Also, with fertilizer, fertilizer is salt. Even if it's a low-salt fertilizer, it's still salt. And so it can pull moisture away from that seed. So we have to be real careful with it. And in light soils, in... 
uh, dry years, that's when you're more likely to have a problem. As far as where can you find somebody uh, on how to set this up, I, I guess I'd just talk to maybe some seed corn companies and I talk to some equipment companies and they'll probably, you can probably find somebody in your local area who's doing something similar. All right. And then this last one is a very different question than what we normally get. This one is from Ethan and he is a college student in South Dakota. And he said, I want to ask you guys about writing and the role of technical communication in agriculture. So here he has six questions for us. And I just thought this would be good uh, because we, well, anyway, you'll see where I'm going with this. All right. So he says his first one here is during a typical workday, how much time do you spend on writing tasks and how much has this changed over the years? Um, it really, really varies. So like for Darren and me, we probably like, I, I will spend more time writing than Darren will, but I'm probably writing for one to two hours a day. It's, it probably hasn't changed all that much over the years, maybe a little bit more. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, his second question here, how important is communication in the field of agriculture and why? It's a, it's a 50. So communication is unbelievably important. And this is why I wanted to answer Ethan's question on the air here. Occasionally, Darren and I will talk to ag schools. And this is something I say all the time. I mean, I, I say literally, if it's me, I'd, I'd make, I'd force your ag students every day to give a 30 second speech, one minute speech, two minute speech. I don't care what it is. Or, or it can be writing as well. Uh, writing is also very, very important. But I, I, I feel like more people struggle with speaking, speaking in front of groups, small groups, anything else. It's just to communicate all the great things we do in agriculture and also to be able to talk through some of the challenging things that do come up. So I think communication is unbelievably important. And I, I just think it... it it should start in grade schools, middle schools, high schools, college, everywhere. I think we need more training. Everybody needs more training in communication. All of us can improve. Uh, is there any specialized software that you use to produce workplace documents? Not really, no. It's just kind of the standard, like Word, for example, is what I'm using for uh, typing things up. Uh, and here's another one. Does writing style change with different audiences? Of course it does. So we're going to be a lot more direct with farmers. With non-farmers, um, we're going to we're going to talk about some of the the challenges that that may be out there and some of the concerns that people have. And we're definitely going to speak differently with them. Uh, what are the potential consequences, benefits of poor and good writing? It's literally everything. Wars have often been started because somebody writes the wrong thing or says the wrong thing. So. I mean, good communication is so important. You're never going to be perfect. You just all have to try to do our best. And finally, he says, what advice would you give to students pursuing a degree in agriculture that would help them strengthen their communication writing skills? Take speech classes. Take writing classes. It's really important. Even if you're going back to the farm, I don't care. It's super important. That's all we've got for you for today. Thanks for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.